The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Before we begin, I would like to say that I especially enjoyed Brother Chris's sermon this morning, and I hope it meant as much to you as it did to me. I thought the Lord really blessed him to uh, preach a message that was very convicting, but the Lord blessed it in such a way that I didn't get mad. I felt very peaceful and uh, really felt like the Lord was in it. And I hope the Lord will bless us in that way tonight because what I want to speak to you on is what we would consider a duty sermon. And without the Lord's Spirit and without the right motivation on the part of the preacher, as well as the congregation, this is a subject that might not feel spiritual, but I know the Lord can bless it so that we're uh, motivated instead of being made to feel as if we're in bondage or this is just our duty that we have to do. And that's the difference between preaching and giving a lecture. And we pray the Lord will bless in that way that the Holy Spirit would come between me and you and use what we say in a way that would uh, convict you and edify you and encourage you. So I want to begin in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Now, as you remember, Paul is the aged apostle. And he's writing to a young elder named Timothy. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So I want to title my message tonight, Behaving Ourselves in the House of God. Now I've referred to this verse many times, and in particular I've emphasized the latter part of the verse, which describes the church as the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And that's a good portion of scripture to emphasize what the church is and why it is important. But if the church is important, we ought to know how to behave ourselves in the church. And when we speak about behaving ourselves in the church, we're not just talking about how we conduct ourselves when we're inside of these four walls. But we're talking about the body of Christ made up of individual baptized believers and how those individual members are to interact and treat one another. And some of it has to do when we assemble together like we are tonight. That is how you're to behave yourselves when we assemble to worship 
And some of it may pertain to how we uh, interact when we're not assembled together for a meeting like we are tonight. But I believe most of what I say will be with regard to when we assemble together like we are tonight. You know, most of us are familiar with either being told as children or maybe telling our children something like this. Well, we're going to church tonight and I want you to behave yourself. I want you to sit still and be quiet and listen. Now that can apply to adults too. Sometimes we don't sit still and be quiet and listen. But I just say that to illustrate that behaving ourselves in the assembly is something to give consideration to. And I believe the Bible has a lot to say about it, maybe not so much by command as by illustration or even more so by example. So as we consider behaving ourselves in the house of God, I want to begin with how Jesus behaved himself. I think that'll be a pretty good example to go by. In uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 16, referring to Jesus, it says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Now, of course, Jesus would be considered the minister in this scenario because it says he stood up for to read. I realize that's not the action of every person person that gathers together to worship that was his role he stood up for to read but I want you to notice some things in this verse that would apply to to all of us it says he came to Nazareth and we know as the verse then says that that was where he had been brought up you know maybe this is not directly derived from this verse But notice that he attended worship in the area where he had been brought up. In other words, it ought to be a regular part of our lives. And I failed to say this in the beginning. I meant to say as we consider this subject of behaving ourselves in the house of God, I'm going to emphasize how we're to train our children to behave themselves in the house of God. That's sort of the angle we're going to take with this. But Jesus had been brought up in Nazareth. And he says, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now the Sabbath day to the Jews... Uh, The seventh day was uh, observed in recognition of how God rested uh, after the creation. But we'll see the transition 
uh, in the book of Acts, how they began meeting on the first day of the week. But here, before Jesus had went to the cross, before he had been crucified, it said they came together, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. The main thing I want to emphasize in this verse is this was his custom. Is going to church your custom? Do your children know that going to church is your custom? When our children were growing up, they knew that there was no question that on Sunday morning, it was a custom. And we use that word probably lightly today compared to how it's used here because to say that it was Jesus' custom to go to church uh, was meant to emphasize something that was very important. So our children should know by our example that come Sunday or whenever the church meets for that matter, it is our custom to go to church. Now you really can't address any other uh, behavior that your children ought to have in the house of God if they're not there. And that's, that's step one. Amen. You know, when, from, from an infant, when your newborn is old enough that you feel like it's now safe and uh, they're not sickly and it's okay to get them out, it'd be good if that's the first place they go right. out of the home. Amen. And you know, in the same way that an infant in the womb can hear music that his or her mother is listening to in like manner. Even the more so, even an infant or a one-year-old child benefits from what they hear at church, especially the singing at that age. So it was Jesus' custom to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, look at Acts, or rather, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and beginning with verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Now, when did the church begin having a problem with church attendance? The first century. That's right. Amen. He said, it is the manner of some, and that's a word that 
basically has the same meaning as custom. It was the manner, it was the habit, it was the custom of some to forsake the assembling of themselves together. There is a difference between non-attendance and forsaking the assembly. Now, whenever you forsake the assembly, it's obvious that you're also not attending. But people can be uh, in non-attendance and not be forsaking the assembly. Someone in the nursing home they're, they're, uh, they're not in attendance, but they may be praying the whole time from 10.30 to 12. The Lord knows, and usually you know, whether or not you're forsaking the assembly. Um, one time since we've moved here, Tina and I We're gone on a vacation and I chose to forsake the assembly and I knew it. I felt it. I was forsaking the assembly. But when I'm sick or when there's something maybe with regard to my family that has to be attended to, you can generally in your conscience know whether it's a valid reason or not. And if you don't feel right about it in your conscience, even though others may use that excuse. You know, the Bible says that comparing ourselves among ourselves, we are not wise. Don't set me or Brother Chris or any other minister as your standard to aim for. We're way too low. Set the Word of God as your standard to aim for. The reason it's unwise to compare yourselves among yourselves is I'll look at some problem in my life and I'll look at you and say, well, they do it, so it must be okay. So I don't need to change. He says, let us hold fast. That means grip tightly the profession of our faith. What is the profession of our faith? Basically, it is that I believe Jesus is my Savior. Upon baptism, you have professed that by what you say and by what is illustrated in the baptism, the death, burial, and resurrection. You have in baptism professed that you believe that Jesus is your Savior. And so he says, hold fast to that. And it's directly linked and manifested by how you esteem the assembly. Let us hold the profess, the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another. Now I want you to notice the negative side of this. He's speaking here about assembling together. So if we forsake the assembly, we could read verse 24 this way that we are being inconsiderate one of another. I don't like it when people are inconsiderate of me. Do you? It's rude, isn't it? If someone's inconsiderate of you. Well, this isn't Brother Buddy's opinion. He says, I'm being inconsiderate 
of the other members when I forsake the assembly. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. You know what happens when you're inconsiderate and forsake the assembly? You discourage those that are there from love and good works. And you're going to discourage the pastor a lot because all week he's been studying and praying for the Lord to direct him and saying, Lord, help me to present it in a way that it's clear. Lord, give me your spirit. Help me rightly divide it. And then you're all uh, prepared and ready as much as you can be as as a man. And then you get there and there's only a few people there. And you know what Satan's prone to tell us? See, there's no value to your life. You devoted all this time to preaching. There's nobody there to hear you. Now again, I hope the Lord will bless this in a way that, you know, the Bible says regarding elders and deacons that their children are to be in subjection with all gravity. That means that uh, they uh, train their children and discipline their children in such a way that they desire to obey their parents. That's what it means in all gravity. And if I just preach harsh duty and someone's attending church to avoid getting rebuked, then I've accomplished nothing. And we'll see some scriptures in a moment that teach what our mindset ought to be. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. I can't provoke you in a good way or a bad way if I'm not with you and if I don't communicate with you. I can't make my wife mad if I'm not with her and saying anything other than she might be mad that I'm not there. But you can't stir someone up unless you're with them. And here it's in a, the word provoke here. We usually look at that as a negative word. It's positive here because it's saying provoke one another unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Some preachers want to get some crazy ideas from that part of the verse. All it means is that as you get closer to Sunday, encourage each other more and more. Now, if you want to discourage your pastor, tell him why you're not going to be there next Sunday especially if it's a reason for something you could avoid. I won't be here next Sunday because, uh, you know, we're going uh, to the lake. That doesn't make him feel too good. He's not provoked unto love and good works. Now, he's provoked. And I'm often, and I'm, I'm amazed, people don't realize he's provoked in a bad way. But he is, and he's got to deal with that. He can't let that control his behavior. I understand that, but he's no different than you. Let's provoke each other unto love and good works. You know, there are times that 
uh, maybe someone comes in a little bit late, and we're going to get to that eventually, but we're not there yet. But, you know, there's sometimes people come in a little bit late, and I just say, I'm so glad they're here. I say, there's some, those are some of those members they never miss. You know what I'm talking about. And you, you, when they come in, you're just like, all right, they're here. See how that provokes each other unto love and to good works? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting. That means encouraging one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So that one thing can make a big difference in terms of the proper behavior in the house of God. Now I said I wanted to look at this with regard to training our children. Here's a couple of things I thought about. Before your children join the church, or when they have asked to be baptized, let's say they asked to be baptized uh, today, and the baptism is scheduled for next Sunday. Depending on their age, you need to pray that God will give you wisdom as to how to address the matter with them. But if they're a child that's, say, five years old, there needs to be some communication about do you realize what you've committed yourself to? I understand that if you talk to a five-year-old that you can't come to him ten years later and say, I told you when you joined the church what was required of you. I understand that. But regardless of their age, they need to realize that you've joined yourself to a, a body of people. Right. And you need to connect with that body. So they should understand there's a sacrifice, there's a commitment. And the parents, if they're members, are responsible for teaching this. You know, the pastor really can't teach a five or six year old. That's something you need to do. When they join the church and before they're baptized, maybe during the week, just have a talk to them about it. You know, there was a time when some among the primitive Baptists would not allow children to join, and that is wrong. Amen. But we don't need to go the other extreme. We need to say to our child when they join, now, you didn't just do this because your brother joined, did you? Uh, this isn't just something you're doing to get attention. You don't, it's not that you've seen other people uh, stand up here and everybody come by and greet them. That's not why, you know, we need to have some degree of communication. One of mine joined when they were three years old. There was very limited communication, but there was enough to realize that they at least knew what they were doing. Now, let's get to the one that's going to be real hard because the one preaching is guilty. Arriving on time. Every church has this problem. 
Don't get offended that I'm picking on you because I'm guilty too. Now, Brother Tim, I heard you preached on this one time, and then you were late the next, what, two Sundays? <laughs> so this is something we all struggle with. And if we, were to, if we were to have somebody stand at the door and take names or say we're going to have to address this, that's a, that's a way we can quench the spirit and it's of no good. You know, I don't want people on time because they're forced to be there on time and they're mad and uh, in the flesh. That, that accomplishes nothing. So let's see what the scriptures say about this. And then I want you to see how you can train your children with regard to this when they become adults. Look at Psalm 122. See, it's all about an attitude and how much you love meeting with the Lord's people. That's really what it's about. You love being with them so much that you want to be there. You know, I want you to think about this too. I, I've traveled a lot and I can think of several churches and I'm thinking of one right now. That particular church, the couple that gets there the first every time is the couple that has the most physical difficulty getting there and getting in the building. But every Sunday before 10.30, there they are on that front pew ready for the service to start. Man, that'll make you feel guilty, won't it? I mean, somebody told me they have to get up real early because it takes them so long to get uh, take a bath or a shower and get dressed and they still tried to bring food. It took them all morning to get ready. But they were always there on time. And then those of us that get around with no problem come in later. But notice Psalm 122. And notice how, notice the positive spirit here. I was glad. There we go. I wasn't mad. Wasn't sad. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Now this is, the Old Testament worship, but so much of the Old Testament can be viewed as a type or a picture of the New Testament. You know, for example, Egypt is almost always representative of the world. Jerusalem is almost always representative of the New Testament church. Yes, it had a literal specific meaning in the Old Testament, but in principle, it can be applied to the church. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord unto the testimony of Israel to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. Now I want you to see this. 
I was glad when they said, let's go. Because that's where I get to give thanks. Isn't that a wonderful attitude? For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Don't you want to prosper? This is not a wealth and health gospel. I believe this is your soul prospering. Now the Lord can bless you in a lot of ways when you're obedient. I believe the Lord will provide your material needs in a way when you're obedient far better than when you're disobedient. But notice he says here, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. Now listen to this. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, peace be within thee. Not for my sake, but for my brethren and my companions' sake. I want it to be a good place for them. Because of the house of the Lord, our our God, because of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek thy good. Think of how important our assembling together is. You know, again, I just refer back to this morning. The Lord so blessed me through Brother Chris's preaching. What kind of shape would I be in right now if I would have stayed at home? I think I would just be so... um, melancholy you ever felt that way I feel that way on Monday morning sometimes you know you're not depressed really it's just blah church helps you get over that you know yesterday I rode with brother Tim to the meeting and rode back with brother Chris that helped me get over that blah feeling the Lord intended for us to benefit being with each other That's what the psalmist is saying here. He's not getting on to his brethren. He's saying, I'm glad when my brethren said, let's go. Now let's look at one more verse pertaining to this. And then I'll give you some ways this applies to our children. Isaiah chapter 2, beginning with uh, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. So there it is again. He's speaking to Jerusalem, the place that God had ordained that they worship. But as we read this, you'll see that in principle, it could apply to us today. He says in verse 2, matter of fact, this is a prophecy about the church today. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. You know, it's contrary to nature to flow uphill. It's contrary to nature to come to church regularly. It's contrary to your whole nature. That's why as much as we value Zoom and as 
as glad as I am that we've been forced to learn this technology that enables us to get our preaching out more in the community and even around the world through uh, Brother Goins' uh, Grace Alone radio app. Yet, as an individual, if you say, man, I can just go to church in my pajamas with Zoom. I, I can sit in my chair with coffee. I like this. Well, you can't provoke the others unto love and good works. That's right. yeah. And you're not held accountable. You may be on Zoom and you may not. People at church really don't know for sure. So don't let modern things interfere with God's established pattern. Let me give you a good example of that. Um, primitive Baptists don't have divided classes. We don't have Sunday schools. We don't have different age groups. And that's because we believe, um, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where they met together and did that. Even in the Old Testament, they met together as a body. But here's the thing I wanted to emphasize. If my children are separated from me and my wife in worship, that's interfering with my responsibility to train them how to behave in church. If you send them to someone who's trying to manage 20 children in a separate room, that's not God's pattern. I've actually talked to a few people. I, was, I didn't know this. That they said they would attend a church and they were frowned upon if they didn't send their small children off with the other children so they wouldn't interfere with the worship service. Man, that is so far from what God would have us to do. If a child misbehaves and the parents take them out and discipline them and come back in, that is not disruptive. Disruptive is when you don't address it the way you should. Amen. Notice he says, many people shall go, verse 3, many people shall go and say, come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Amen. How excited are you about hearing and getting access to the word of God? You say, well, I have three or four Bibles at home. That is not the same. Amen. It's God calling a man and burdening him and blessing him with the Spirit to preach it. You say, well, I feel the Spirit at home. I hope you do. But see, when we question things that God set up, we're going the wrong way. Amen. For example, here's something I heard before. This is just a good illustration of it. Somebody said, well, to me, instead of getting married, it would be better to just live together and find out if you're compatible. That way, if you're not compatible, there's no real 
uh, consequence. There's no legal process you have to go through. Just go your separate ways. You know why that's a problem? Because God said don't do it. If for no other reason God said don't do it, we know there is a a moral reason. It's committing fornication. But anything you do, if you can't think of any other reason it's wrong, if God just said don't do it that way, that is plenty of reason not to do it that way. You know, there's all kind of ideas we can come up with. You know, man, wouldn't it be great to have a family life center? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? You know, one of the qualifications of a minister is that he be grave. That is, that he give consideration to things before he acts and how it's going to affect the church. A minister doesn't need to be a man that just comes up with all kinds of exciting ideas. Right. Needs to think about what the Bible teaches and how this will affect the things as God set them up. Now, let's just, and I'll probably close here tonight. This subject is one that I considered and compiled some notes on about 25 years ago. And I actually put down about 13 things with regard to how we should behave ourselves in God's house. But we're going to conclude tonight with just these two because they're directly connected. Faithful attendance and arriving on time. Be there when the church meets and try to be on time. How can we influence our children? First of all, these are just simple things. Being late is usually just a bad habit. Have you ever met someone that's 10 minutes late to work every day? Every day they're there at the same time. They're consistent. They're just late. You know, it takes a while to adjust to a new habit. Let's say you're accustomed to coming in after they've been singing a while. That's what you're accustomed to. You feel comfortable that way. People don't notice when you come in. The singing's already started. You've never been one to mix and mingle before church starts. Think about this. I used to always take a shower in the morning. That's the way I wanted to do it. It just, it just seemed like it wasn't good if I didn't take the shower in the morning. Of course, since we moved here, we got two bedrooms and one bath, and take a shower when you can. <laughs> but I've developed the habit, not out of more out of necessity than desire, of taking a shower at night. And guess what? After seven years, I don't want to take it in the morning. I. I honestly say, I used to want to take it in the morning to wake up. But now, I I do this way. I say, I'm not awake, I don't want to take a shower. We're so much creatures of habit. We form habits. And, okay, you say, I'm not accustomed uh, to getting there before everybody else. Well, being a Christian is all about sacrificing, isn't it? That's right. Dying on the cross didn't feel good, did it? That's right. 
That's what it's all about. Changing myself. Whether it's comfortable or not. And oftentimes this habit is just passed along. You know, Brother Chris preached from the Old Testament. And I really enjoyed that sermon about how that, you know, maybe that granddaddy went to church, but then daddy had some problems at the church. So then I quit going to church and my son doesn't even know about the church. So you see, if all my children know is that I'm late, they're going to by example, think that's the way it's supposed to be. The song service is the envelope you have to arrive. Ooh, that, that hurts, don't it? Wonder how the Lord looks on that. I believe the Lord wants all the attention. And He's worthy of it. Now here's a quote that I found from a booklet written by Elder Dan Hall. Some of you, I know you preachers know of him. He lives in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And the name of this booklet was Behaving Ourselves in the House of God. And it was a fairly large booklet, but small enough that it doesn't take long to read it. And I'm going to see if he still has some copies of that. But notice this point that he made. Jesus is honored by how you value his and your brethren's time. Jesus is honored by how you value his time. The time that's been designated to worship him. He's honored when you esteem it as such and you say, I don't want to miss any of that time that I've set aside to honor the Lord. I hope the Lord has blessed this with this spirit in a way that I can't. That it will be received as encouragement, not as condemnation. And we'll just see if the Lord will continue to burden us to address this at a later time. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.